Please find in your copy of God's Word, 1 Peter chapter 3. We'll be reading verses 1 through 7 together. The Apostle Peter writes in chapter 3, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, that they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, waken our souls this morning. Waken us so that we hunger and thirst for you. Waken first love. Transform us through your word. Heal our marriages. As we open this sacred text, I pray that you will come now. Spirit of God and fall fresh on us in Jesus name. Amen. We've been asking the question over the last two weeks. How can I live in such a way that or how can we live in such a way that our life will have an impact on people who are deeply resistant to the gospel. And Peter answered that question by giving us a principle in verses 11 and 12. And then he unpacked that principle in 13 through 25. The principle goes like this. Outside of the gospel, your life, your character, your testimony is the most powerful tool you have for influencing people. A holy life is a compelling life. If you want to be useful, if you want to see the lives of those around you changed, then you must be holy. True holiness equals true influence. And that means as a church member, as a father, as a mother, as a husband, as a wife, your highest calling is not your ministry. It's not your usefulness. Your greatest responsibility before God is to be holy. And that kind of life is not created overnight. And so what we need is gospel grounded, faith fueled, spirit empowered effort toward holiness. That's crucial. Then last week... We saw the example of what holiness looks like in real life, what it produces. And here's what it does. It produces submissive people to government. It produces submissive people to employers. And it produces people who understand their freedom in Christ. And so I argued last week that verse 16 is pivotal because verse 16 argues that the impact of our life and ministry in large measure depends on. On the way we use our freedom. 
So what was Peter talking about when he was addressing this issue of freedom? Well, I argue that freedom in this context is the ability to make a different choice. Freedom means that you don't have to hate your employer just because they treat you poorly. Freedom means that you don't have to retaliate or get even with people as Christians. We have the power to rise above our natural inclinations and live in a way that is different for the glory of God. That is what it means to be free. That's what it means to be born again. In short, Peter is helping us to learn through this whole section how to live in such a way that our lives will have an impact on people who are deeply resistant to the gospel. And he continues that theme today. And what he does is he moves from this general sphere of society to a more specific specific sphere of the home, the more intimate sphere of marriage. And so his point remains, your married life is to be lived in such a way that it will have an impact on people who are resistant to the gospel. Same point, different context. Now, what does this look like in practice? Well, Peter gives some specific directions to both wives and to husbands. So here's what I want to do. I have two words this morning. I have two words for wives and I have two words for husbands. That's all you have to remember. Two words. It's easy. Now, I've entitled this mini-series through Peter, Straight Talk About Authority. And so this morning, I have some straight talk for both wives and some straight talk for husbands. And so, ladies, we'll start with you. Two words this morning. Submission and beauty. Verses 1, 5, and 6 address the issue of submission. Feel free to circle that word, submission, in your text. It occurs three times. The third occurrence, it says, obey. Same thing. And then beauty, verses 2 through 5, address this issue of beauty. Your translation may say adorn yourself. Same thing. Circle those words. Let's begin with the word submission. You'll find that there in verse 1. Now, you should be totally familiar with this word. Same word that Peter used when he talked in verse 13 about submitting to government. Same word that Peter used in verse 18 when he talked about being submissive to your employers or to master servants to their masters. Same word. All right. It's the Greek word hupotasso. And it means to follow the order or the directives of someone. It means to obey them. Now listen, it's the same word that James uses in chapter 4 when he says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Same word. Hupotasso, important word. Now, many godly wives will read this text and they'll say this. Okay, well, I totally see the principle here of submission. That's clear. But what exactly does that look like in practice? Well, thankfully, that's where Peter goes in verses two through, or verses five and six. He breaks it down for us. And to do that, interestingly enough, he goes to the Old Testament and he grabs the example of Sarah. This is so interesting. Verse 5 says, For in the past, the holy women who put their hope in God also beautified themselves by submitting to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. All right? Now, why why do you think God uses the example of Sarah when he's talking about submission? I think this is fascinating because of all women, Sarah, if you know anything about the Bible, was certainly no pushover at all by any means. She was a strong woman. In fact, in Genesis chapter 21, we're told of an incident where Sarah insisted that Hagar should be excluded from the household after Isaac was born. All right. Now, when Sarah said this, Abraham didn't like that one bit. Not one bit did Abraham like that. And yet Sarah continued this way, and Sarah was right. And the the reason why we know she was right is because God told Abraham to do what Sarah says. Check it out. Genesis 21, verse 12. All right? Now, here's the point. The point is this, is that women who follow Sarah's example, wives who follow her example, will not be giving unthinking, slavish obedience to their husbands, If you thought that's what submission is, 
then that text proves that that's not what it is. The example of Sarah is different. God does not call you as a Christian wife to be a cheerleader when your husband is clearly going in the wrong direction. There are going to be times when your husband needs to hear you say, honey, this is wrong. Sarah did that. Sarah was the voice of God to her husband. But the important thing, and Peter makes this point very clear, was that Sarah looked up to Abraham and she treated him with great respect. Notice that she even called him Lord. (laughs) By the way, I told Tina, I said, I think this would be a great model for you. I think, honey, you should call me Lord. (laughs) She called me master. (laughs) That didn't go over real well. (laughs) But I think it's interesting in an Eastern context, this is what happens, isn't it? This is what happens. There is a respect shown. A respect shown to Abraham that Sarah was keen to deliver. Well, look, the word Lord may sound strange in our context. Okay. But what it tells us is that Sarah did not look down on Abraham. Sarah did not roll her eyes at Abraham or make him feel foolish. Instead, she played a wonderful role in making him the great man of God that he was. Now, ladies, if you're struggling in a marriage, in a difficult marriage to your husband, you would do well to study the life of Sarah. And I would encourage you to do that. I mean, can you imagine being married to this guy, to Abraham? This incredible figure that a whole Bible talks about. This amazing man. Can you, this guy who comes home, Abraham, who comes home and says, Oh, oh, um, by the way, um, God has called us to move to another country. And we're going to do that tomorrow. (laughs) And Sarah's like, "Uh, what country are we moving to? And Abraham's like, "Uh, well, actually, I don't know. We're just going to kind of get moving and we'll find out where that country is. And Sarah's like, are you serious? Everyone's like, yep, pack your bags. We're going. I mean, can you imagine being married to that? In many respects, Sarah had a difficult marriage. She had a difficult life because she's married to a man who's called to do radical things for God. But you know, it was Sarah who gave birth to Isaac And who eventually comes through Isaac's line? Jesus. Jesus. Now, Sarah never would have known what God was doing through her love and loyalty to Abraham. But through her faithfulness, despite a difficult marriage, look what her life produced. All right. So now if that's what submission is. Okay. What is the motivation for it? Peter says it. Right here in the text. He says, wives, submit to your husbands so that, purpose statement, if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. Now listen, Peter says in verse 1 that if some do not obey. Those words, do not obey, can also be translated, do not believe. If you think about this, and that's significant because Peter means... Two things. He's saying two things. When he uses the word apatheo, he's speaking about two types of husbands. He's speaking about husbands who disbelieve the word and husbands who disobey the word. Two types. He's talking about unbelieving husbands and disobedient husbands. But in either case, the way to win them is the same. Now, let me say a word to you husbands who may be disobeying the word or may be unbelievers. You don't believe the word. You just don't believe it. Oh, my friend. Think about the consequences. Think about the predicament you put your godly wives through. It is just, it's unbelievable. Every day they wake up, they can't say a word to you because their words are ill-effective They just have to live a life of godliness and they have to live a life of godliness with a husband who seems that he doesn't care. He dishonors the word of God. He disobeys the word of God. He does not believe the word of God. And your wife, she loves Jesus. She goes on every day faithfully trying to pursue Jesus. My friend, can't you see her inward beauty? Look at your wife. 
Don't you see her inward beauty? I encourage you to go to her Savior. Go to Jesus. Go to the gospel. If you are here today and you're an unbelieving husband, go to the Jesus of your wife. Why do you think she's happy? Why do you think she's peaceful? Why is life going well for her? Because she has trusted in Jesus. I encourage you, my friend, go to Jesus, run to him, repent of your sins, and put your trust in Jesus. We would love to help you do that today. But ladies, for you, listen, the issue here is submission. You are to be submissive to your husbands. And Peter's giving you here a powerful motivation. Okay? This is powerful. He says, be submissive so that you will win them. All right? And in this context, as I said, this means either win them to obedience or win them to faith. Any, any ladies here have a husband who disobeys the Bible ever? All right? This is pretty relevant, pretty practical. How do you win your husband who's not honoring the Bible, who's not honoring God's word? Your conduct. Your conduct, your life, all right? This is really practical. Let me get practical with you guys for a minute, all right? All of you ladies in this room right now that are married are living next to men who need to be changed. Some of them need to grow. That is, they need to obey the word, while others just need to flat out become Christians. They need to just believe the Bible, all right? Now, I thought of some categories of men that need changed, need changing, all right? Some of you men are like, I thought this is about the women. Verses 1 through 6, it is. But give me a second to address this. And I'm coming right back. All right? Some categories of men that need changing. All right? Let's start with, and I put names on these men, disengaged David. All right? Let's talk about this guy. This is a man who's always looking at his iPhone constantly. All right, he's always watching the TV while his wife's trying to talk to him. He's disengaged. He's checked out. Here's the scenario. They're sitting around for dinner one night, and his wife's telling him about some important decision that he makes, that she has to make, and he's looking at his phone. He's doing this. And she says, well, do you agree? And he says, uh. She says, well, I mean, do you agree with what I'm saying? And he says, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And she says, what did I just say? And he's like, oh, busted, busted. He doesn't know. This guy's checked out. He's totally checked out. All right. That's disengaged David. How about another guy? How about Hobby Hank? What's Hobby Hank into? Here's his story. Here's a guy who works really hard in life. Extremely hard. But listen, when he's off, he is off, baby. He's just off. He's going to have fun. He's going to take, he deserves a break. I mean, come on, look how hard he works. And you know, when he gets home, he's, he just deserves a break. And so he works on his truck and he goes fishing and he watches the game with his boys. And yeah, you know, he likes his toys. The problem is though, he doesn't realize that his toys have become more important than his wife and his family. The fact is, I bet some of those wives would just love to take a sledgehammer to that truck <laughs> and just say, would you give your attention, please, to your kids and to your wife? Well, then there's angry Adam. What's he like? This, this guy's got a short fuse. We've all met these guys. He blows up in a second. You don't know what's going to happen next. Everybody in the house is walking on eggshells because they're scared. Frankly, this dude's a scary guy, all right? In a second, he gets mad. He blows up, throwing stuff, hitting things. You think he's like 14. It's unbelievable. Short fuse, angry, say the slightest thing, and he's just so mad, red in the face, throwing stuff. If you're that guy, stop that. That's ridiculous. That, 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 that's pathetic. Your kids are scared of you. That's messed up severely. All right. Then we got laid back Larry. What's, what's his deal? Well, here's a guy who's, he's always around. Okay. He, he seems to lead. He seems to be around. He's present all the time. 
But the problem is he doesn't lead his family. He doesn't take any initiative. He's lazy. He's undisciplined. He's not proactive. He wants to take the easy way out. So he leaves the household chores to his wife. He doesn't make any of the decisions. He doesn't serve. He doesn't pitch in. He is lazy. He just sits. That's what he does. That's laid back Larry. All right. Now you're saying, some of you men are saying, okay, those things don't describe me. All right. If they don't describe you, something else does. And I can guarantee you that if we went and grabbed your wife and said, is there any way that your husband needs to be changed? She'd have a pen ready to go. (laughs) And she'd be ready to write. All right. So we, the point is this husbands need growth and change. And if that's the case, then ladies, What's the formula for change? What does Peter say that you need to do? Here it is, verse 1. You are to win them without a word. Did you hear that? By your conduct, without a word. Listen, there is something in the nature of a woman that causes her to go about changing her husband in the very way that is most unhelpful. It's just built into the DNA, to the psyche. You say, well, who would want to do that? What wife would want to do that? Well, nobody would intentionally want to do that. But it happens all the time. Listen, Proverbs 14.1 says, Every wise woman builds her house, but a foolish one tears it down with her own hands. Think about that. Tears it down with her own hands. Now, we're talking about how to win your husbands. How to win their, your husbands if they're disobedient and unbelieving. And we're talking about the word submission. And here's the first thing under submission. Write this down. Words don't work. Just flat out don't work. Words don't work. When a wife sees something in the home that she's not happy with, what does she do? She wants to tell him about it. She wants to give him a speech, maybe even a little seminar. Yeah. And she'll be happy to remind him of that daily because she thinks somehow he's forgotten that she told him that. He didn't forget. No, he didn't forget. The the point is words don't work. Is that wise? Is that a wise approach? Is that Peter's program here? No. No. In fact, he says, well, actually, in fact, God says... You will win them by your conduct. God says you will win them without a word. Now, does that mean there's never a place for constructive conversation or communication on important issues? No, of course, there's place for that. But what it does mean is that you need to somehow figure out how to put away that post-it note that you always want to bring to your husband and review with him. You need to put that post-it note away. That's not helpful. Those things that you so desperately want to say to him are not going to build your house. They are going to tear it down. Listen carefully to me. Consider the danger and consequences, ladies, of too many words unwisely, untimely spoken to your husbands. Here's the first danger. It produces alienation and distance in your marital relationship. It does. It's what it does. Words unwisely, untimely spoken will create alienation and distance. Proverbs 21, 9. Better to live, love this imagery, on the corner of a roof than to share a house with a nagging wife. (laughs) Better to live up there. Just get up to the top of the roof. Hang out up there. Live there. You know, get a little sleeping bag or something. Better to be in the attic, Solomon says, than to live with a woman that's always nagging. Nagging about what? Anything. Anything that bothers her. Just nag. Back ten verses later, he ramps it up. He says, better to live in a wilderness than than with a nagging and hot-tempered wife. As in, if you can still hear her up in the attic or on the roof, (laughs) hit the desert, man. Get out of here. (laughs) Go as far as you can from those words because they're destructive and they're hurtful and they're harmful. The idea is this. Do whatever you can to get away from those words. Words that are tearing down the marriage. 
Ladies, listen, that's what's happening. When you come back with a this and that of how he needs to change, you are tearing down your marriage. You say, but well, no, no, no. He's tearing it down by the way he's doing. He may be. But I'll tell you this. Your words are making it worse. It just makes it worse. Here's a scenario. A man and a woman are sitting at the dinner table. She says to him, you know, we never spend time together anymore. He doesn't hear the word together. He doesn't hear the word time. He hears the word never. And he says, never? We never spend time together anymore? She says, no, you always ignore me. He doesn't hear the word ignore. He doesn't hear the word me. He hears the word always. He says, always, I always ignore you. So she realizes that's not working. I'll try a different approach. She says, did you know that Chris and Lynn have a date night every week? He says, oh, so you want to be married to Chris? So that's not working. So she says in frustration, well, you know what I mean? Stop being so hard to deal with. I just want us to spend time together. That's the point. And he says, and this is how you show it. This is how you show that you want to spend time with me. This speech that you're giving me, this does not make me want to be with you more. This makes me want to be with you less. Now, ladies, hear me. Peter says, if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. Now, clearly, husbands need to be changed and their wives know it. But here's the point. Words don't work. Here's the formula for a better marriage. Here's the formula for changing your husband. You ready for this? Less words, more life. Less words, more life. Holiness is the issue. Holiness of conduct. Ladies, you are to be holy. That's your calling before God. Holiness of conduct. Okay, so we're talking about how to win disobedient or unbelieving husbands. And we looked at the word submission. And we've seen that words aren't the answer. Okay, ladies, here's your second word. Beauty. Beauty. Peter speaks to this issue of beauty. Verse 3. Here's what he says. Your beauty should not consist of outward things. Like elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold ornaments or fine clothes. Verse 4. Instead, it should consist of what is inside the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very valuable in God's eyes. Now, Peter is not placing an apostolic ban on hairstyles, gold jewelry, and designer labeled clothes. Notice what he actually says. He's not saying you can't wear them. He's saying your beauty should not depend on them. If your beauty depends on something you buy, you are in great trouble. Now, we live in a culture where there is tremendous pressure on how we look and how misguided is our world at this point. Physical beauty does not last. That that should be blatantly obvious to you when you get up and look at yourself in the mirror. I bet you don't get up and say, whoa, look at that awesomeness. (laughs) You probably get up in the mirror and look at yourself in the mirror for one reason, because you want to assess the damage. (laughs) That's what you want to do, because you realize beauty doesn't last. Now, Peter says, and I love the NASB translation here. He says, do not let your adorning be merely external, merely. In other words, don't let your crowning feature be external, And he gives examples, hair, gold, clothes, translation. If you're always thinking about the latest style, the newest cut, the prettiest highlight, more jewelry, the right kind of clothes to fit your body, then your focus is wrong. Physical beauty doesn't last. Think about it. If there was ever the law of diminishing returns, it's physical beauty. All right, this is it. Proverbs 31, 30. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord 
is to be praised. So ladies, if you want to influence your husbands, then you will need to do something more than physical beauty. And the only way to do it is verse 4. Peter says, let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. That's how you win your men. Physical beauty won't last. But listen, my sisters, there is an unfading beauty that will only come when you are seeking God in the quiet place. It's a beautiful thing that God creates in your life. It's a holiness of life. It's a closeness with God. It's an inner beauty. It's in the inner person of the heart. And God means to create that in you. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that looking nice is not appropriate. In fact, I want to say this. That God cares about that too. While it's ungodly to be overzealous with how you look, it's also not spiritual to not care. I, I've heard some, you know, ladies say things or, or, or dress or look like they just don't care. Just plain. Listen, the word plain, frumpy, unattractive, unattentive, those words are not synonyms with the word godly. You should take care of yourself. You should care about that to an extent, particularly if you're married. Because your husband cares. But listen, what I'm saying is Peter is very clear that you should not let that be your focus. Outward beauty is not the focus. Holiness of life is the issue. So here's the thing I love. Peter is saying that he's interested in women being beautiful. But he's talking about a beauty that God sees. You should be seeking a beauty that transcends physical beauty. And Peter is saying there is an undying beauty. Go for that. Get that. So, do you want to win your husbands? Words don't work. Physical beauty won't last. What then? Ladies, here's what God has called you to do. If you want to bring a positive influence to your marriage, then make note of this. God uses a wife's inner beauty to transform her husband. That's God's plan. Now, are you attached to that plan? Are you on that trajectory? Ladies, there it is. Two words and a motivation. The two words are submission and beauty. The motivation is to win your husbands, either disobedient or unbelieving. All right, now let's close with the men. There's only one verse here. That's why the bulk of my time was spent with the ladies, six verses. One for the men here, but this is crucial stuff. Listen, two words for you men, knowledge and honor. Start with the word knowledge, verse seven. Now let me read the ESV first. It says this, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Now that phrase is actually better translated, live with your wives according to knowledge. I like that. I think that's very helpful. Because there is nobody else on this earth like your wife. She's not like any other woman that God has ever made. Your job, job number one, men, is to know her, to understand her, to learn what helps her, and to pursue that. To learn what hurts her, and to avoid that. That's your job. Your objective is to understand her fears and her struggles and her hopes and her dreams. And then to let that knowledge shape the way you relate to her. Listen, men, never let it be said that your wife's friends and your wife's counselors know her better than you do. That should never, ever be said. They should not even be able to to assume that's the case. And if it is the case with you, then begin to correct that today, this afternoon, you should know her better than any person on this planet, including her friends, her girlfriends. That's crucial. And that's what God is requiring of you. And it's your lifelong calling as a man. I've heard people say, yeah, well, she's, but she's not the same person I dated 20 years ago. (laughs) Well, that's an obvious statement, isn't it? Of course, she's not the same person you dated 20 years ago. The question is, who is she today? Discover who she is today. Know her today. Be close to her today. 
That's discover who God is making her. Live with her according to knowledge. You are to listen to her with your heart. You are to know her. You are to be her friend. Your wife doesn't want you just to be her husband, just to be her provider, just to be that protector in the house. She wants you to be a friend, a close friend. That's hard for us men. We're not drawn that way. Men are distant. Men are aloof. Men are back. She wants you to be close. That's hard for us to do. You're going to have to try hard to do that and make sacrifices. Have long conversations when you don't feel like having long conversations. Be detailed in your conversation when you don't feel like being detailed. Get close to your wife. Know her. So I love that. Live with your wife in an understanding way. Live with your wife according to knowledge. Know her. She's not like any other woman in the world. That's the first word, knowledge. Second word is honor. Treat your wife with honor. Peter says to show honor to her. Now that mean, that word means to place her in the highest position. It means to value her. It means to honor her. It means to place a worth on her life. She has chosen to give herself to you. So make sure that you regard her as that sacred trust from God. Cherish your wife. You are to understand what a woman is like. Peter says that she is a weaker vessel. All right. She's not like a man. And you should know specifically what your wife is like. You're to study your wife. You are to know your wife. You are to understand your wife. She's a weaker vessel. Now, what does that mean? A weaker vessel. Okay. Does that mean she's inferior? No. What does it mean? It means that she's more sensitive. Listen very carefully. A man is like this drum. All right. He's got a hard outside and he's got a thick skin. Hard outside and a thick skin. You can hit it all day. Just hit it all day. Because he's got a hard outside and a thick skin. But a woman, a woman is like a violin. How do you play a violin? You pick it up like this. Is that how you play a violin? No. You pick it up very delicately. You hold it very gently. And you begin to play it very softly. That's how you play a violin. A man is like a bull. Like a big old bull. That's what he's like. He's hard-nosed. He's tough. A woman is like a butterfly. What's a butterfly like? Very beautiful. Very delicate. A man is like a gorilla. <laughs> He's gruff. He's tough. He probably smells. <laughs> a woman... Is like a delicate flower. That means in this room, we have a bunch of gorillas holding little flowers. <laughs> I want the imagery to stick with you. Here's why. That's what it means to be a husband living with your wife in an understanding way. Do you realize that she's a flower? Do you realize that your hands could crush her in a moment? Give a flower to a gorilla. That's scary. That thing either is going to be crushed. I mean, that, that's what's going to happen. But grace has to step in here and help us men not crush our wives. Look, some of you men are still asking, why does she act that way? I, don't, I just don't get it. You know, why, why is she always crying? Why is her feelings hurt all the time? I'll tell you why. Because you're a gorilla. That's why you're a gorilla. You're, you're gruff. You're rough. You, you, you pick her up like this, a violin like that. You can't beat her like a man. You can't hit her. And I don't mean physically. I mean, just emotionally. You can't talk to her that way. She needs you to be sensitive and tender with her. What does Peter say? He says, live in an understanding with her in an understanding way. She's a weaker vessel. More than that, Peter says this, she's a co-heir. 
That means she has the same privileges you do. She's a child of God. She's been justified. She's been chosen. She's been redeemed by Christ. She has the Holy Spirit. She has access to God. Big deal. That's a big deal. She's a fellow heir of the grace of life. So listen, men, treat her that way. Huge. So men, those are your two words. Knowledge and honor. Now listen, if the driving motivation for our wives is to win their husbands, okay, what's the driving motivation for you? Well, Peter tells us, verse 7, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Wow. This hit me hard this week. Man, this hit me hard. I, I, I wrote my wife and I just told her, I said, this text is crushing me. This is unbelievable. I just, I almost feel bad for the ladies. Your motivation is great. Win us, help us obey. But this motivation is, seems more powerful in some ways. It's just unbelievable. So that your prayers will not be hindered. Are you kidding me? Live with your wife in an understanding way. Don't do this to your wife if you want your prayers to be answered. If you don't want your prayers to be hindered. Did he suck? I just can't believe he said that. Think about what he's saying. Listen carefully. Peter is not teaching that praying helps you live right. That's not what Peter's saying. He's teaching that the reverse is the case. Listen carefully. Living right helps you pray. Do you see that? Now, it's very true that praying, of course, does help you live right. But that's not Peter's point here. He is teaching that when you flip it around, it's also the case. Namely, that living right helps you pray. Or it keeps your prayers from being hindered. The way you live with your wife matters. Because guess what's riding on it? Communion with God. Fellowship with God. Prayer. That's, this is your first priority. Make note of this. There is no effective prayer, no effective communion with God, no effective ministry to others without right living in the home. Wow. This is, the first, this is why the first qualification for pastors is what? What is it? Stability in the home. Because wouldn't it be a tragic thing for any church, if God did not listen to the prayers of its pastors. But men, listen, if you're not a pastor, this is true for you. Wayne Grudem says this. So concerned is God that Christian husbands live in an understanding and loving way with their wives that he interrupts his relationship with them when they are not doing so. <laughs> Make note of this, a failure in your marriage hinders your relationship with God. God is very concerned about your marriage. Many men live like this, well, I got to work, got a lot of work to do, I work hard. And then my friends are there and want to spend some time with my friends. Family? Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll try to help out. Work first, friends second, family third. A lot of men live that way. Men have a tendency. If women have a tendency to nag, men have a tendency to neglect. And what happens is when nagging wives start nagging and men start neglecting, these two things begin to snowball. It's like gas and fire. And pretty soon it ignites the whole home on fire. Nag, neglect. More nagging, more neglect. Nag, 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 neglect, neglect, neglect. And pretty soon you got a nightmare on your hands. As a family, men have a tendency to neglect, but if you're going to be a man of God outside of your relationship with God, the most important person in your life is your wife. Don't neglect her. If you're not sensitive to your wife, if you don't honor your wife, if you don't care about your wife, if you don't love your wife, it will affect your relationship with God. Your fellowship with God will be broken. God is concerned, men, about how you treat your wife. If you don't treat her properly, your relationship with God will be fractured. Your ministry, even your ministry, think about this, to your children 
will be fruitless. If you neglect your wife, God is displeased. His spirit is grieved and your fellowship with God, your fellowship with God will be broken. It'll be fractured. That's huge implication. Now you may be thinking I'm doing a lot of good things, but listen, there's no real influence, no real power in your, in, your, in your walk with God or in your life. And here's why. You are neglecting your wife. No power, no influence. Kids' lives aren't being changed. Stuff isn't happening. My prayers aren't being answered. Here's why. You, my friend, are neglecting your wife. You are not loving your wife. And God has pressed the mute button. No man should expect any spiritual good to come from his life unless he has an effective prayer life. You think about this. Can a man do well without praying? Can you do well? Can you live your week and have a great, fantastic week, several months, an awesome year, unless you're a praying person? You can't, can you? All right, now listen, hold that thought. No spiritual good will come from a man if he's not praying. And no man can have an effective prayer life unless he lives with his wife in an understanding way. Domino effect. These things are all hinging on each other. All right? This is what is required of you. If you want to have true communion with God, then you must live with your wife in an understanding way. And God might be saying to some of you men this morning, He might be saying this, because you're not honoring with your wife, because you are not living with her in an understanding way, I am not communing with you. You think about that. You wonder why you're cold. You wonder why you're not growing spiritually. You wonder why God seems distant to you. You wonder why your prayers aren't being answered. Here's it. Listen, you are not loving your wife. And here's why God is so bothered about that. She's not just your wife. Listen very carefully. She is God's daughter. How dare you treat her with such insensitivity? She is God's daughter. It angers God. It shuts God down. It closes him off from from you. And and hear me, your life, your character, your testimony, your holiness, that's the issue. It's the same thing. We just keep coming back to the same thing, don't we? It is. And men, until some of us get serious about our holiness and seeking God and getting in that secret place and beginning to pray and beginning to know God, until we get serious about that, everything is going to be a wreck Home life is going to be a wreck. Our marriage is going to be a wreck. We're not going to be close to our wives. We're not going to be living with them in an understanding way. And if we're not living with them in an understanding way, our prayers are hindered. And if our prayers are hindered, no life change comes, no power, no real effectiveness, no life transformation. The kids are a mess. We have got to get this straightened out. Men, hear me. You are the spiritual leaders of your home. You have to take the bull by the horns, take your biblical masculinity, grab the bull by the horns and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We're just flat out going to do that. Oh, it's going to be hard, men. It's going to be hard because you're going to get up in the morning and you are going to be dead as a hammer. You're not going to feel like praying. You're not going to want to spend time on your face with God. You're not going to want to get down on your knees But if you don't do that, if you don't seek God in that way, it's not going to happen. And if it doesn't happen, you're going to be an, you're going to be an unloving husband. And if you're an unloving husband, your prayers are going to be hindered. And if your prayers are hindered, your whole family is going to be in shambles. This is huge. Men, we have got to seek God. Your wife needs that. Your wife, your wife is hoping for that. Your wife is praying for that. And what will happen is if you do that your wife will begin to catch fire 
A guy came to John Wesley one time and he said this. He said, sir, why are so many people attracted to you, Mr. Wesley? And John Wesley said this. He said, sir, if you set yourself on fire, men will come and watch you burn. And if you men are set on fire, if you have the Holy Spirit filling your life, if you are holy men of God, what will happen is that will begin to catch blaze in your home. Your wife will see that. Your wife will be impacted by that. Your kids will be impacted by that. They'll say, my daddy loves Jesus. Look at this. He's, and you will have an effect on them. Oh, how I pray that God would help us and our church won't be affected. If we, if we, I'm so thankful for the men's ministry. Yesterday was great. It was great to have 40 or 45 guys out there. Be a part of that. Men come, come to that. You need that. I know you need that. Come. Let's spend time together. But if we grow, if we're part of that, all right, then we're growing and our whole church is affected. We become a more holy, a more godly a more consistent, a more faithful church. If we want to see change in this community, if we want to, if we expect to see the nations reached, if we want to see Owensboro reached, it's going to start with holy men in holy homes. It all comes back to the same thing. It's just the same thing. Now, holiness is the issue. God will not use an unholy man. God will not pour his spirit into an unholy vessel. If you want to be fruitful, if you want the power of God, if you want the master to use you, if you want to be filled with a spirit, spirit, then listen, you better love your wife. How you treat your wife matters to God. That means this, your greatest calling, your highest responsibility before God is to be a holy man. So there it is. This is the formula. For a great marriage. Four words and two motivations. Wives, your two words are this. Submission. And inner beauty. And your motivation is to win your husbands. Either win them to obedience or win them to faith. Men, your two words are this. Knowledge and honor. Know your wife. Honor her. And your motivation is this, communion with God, that your prayers will be answered. Now listen, when these pieces begin to come in line, we will all be on our way to happy marriages. Do you want that? I want it for you. Let's go get it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you that though we fall seven times, you pick us up again. As wives and as husbands in this room, we are all failing in many ways. But we run to the gospel again, find fresh hope and fresh encouragement. But God, we don't want to just find encouragement that you forgive us because through our sin, we want to be changed. We want to be different. We want to have different marriages. So God, would you come and help us? and change us, and transform us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.